0: Yeah, you guys really need to pray this morning because I don't have no idea yet uh, how I'm going to be able to say anything that will express what I sense in the heart of the Lord. I really, I really do believe that the Spirit of God wants to speak to the heart of the church about the spirit of this age. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had a guy in here, Dr. Uh, Randall Worley, uh, who I've known not close, but I've known him for uh, over 20 years, I guess. And um, he said something that was very profound. He said something that was very profound. That, has, that provoked me to go on to, for the last two weeks, I've really been um, very seriously uh, dedicating my devotional time to trying to understand what he said in one brief sentence. Uh, he said, in the kingdom of God, justice is not retributive. Uh, We have a false conception of what biblical justice is if we think it includes retribution, payback. Justice in the kingdom of God is not about getting your just desserts. It's not about getting comeuppance for the things that you've done wrong. And it's not about insisting that somebody else get what they deserve. I mean, is anybody in here looking to show up at the great white throne judgment, you know, naked before the throne of God and get what you deserve? I'm asking for mercy for me and you, Marlon. Because justice has to include mercy in the kingdom of God. I I remember when a very uh, uh, anointed um, North American lady preacher was in Resistencia, Argentina once upon a time, and it fell to me to translate for her. And the big point in her message Was the difference between justice and righteousness. There was a, there was this thing. And so, uh, she would say, Well, uh, Lord, send your justice. And I would say, Señor, manda tu justicia. And she would say, Lord, send your righteousness. And I would say, Señor, manda tu justicia. And she, after a while, just repeating those words, she got kind of like looking at me a little crazy. Because it's just one word in Spanish. Justice and righteousness are the same word. It's the same word in French. It's the same word in Italian. It's the same word in Latin. It's the same word in Greek. There's only one word for justice and righteousness. In the biblical context, it's not Two separate items. When we think about justice, we think about judgment. Somebody being assigned in a court of law the punishment that their crime deserves. But that's not found in the New Testament anywhere. The word dekaosis or something like that, I'm not a very uh, astute Greek scholar... Um, its first mention in the, the New Testament is, um, is very interesting. There is a principle in hermeneutics that says the first mention of something in either the New or the Old Testament sets a precedent for how you interpret that concept throughout the rest of Scripture. It's called the principle of first mention. It's interesting what the first mention of righteousness is in the New Testament. It's found in Matthew chapter 119. It says, Then Joseph, her husband, Mary's husband, at that time her husband to be betrothed yet, but then Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. Mary is uh, turns up pregnant by the Holy Spirit, but before the angel had appeared to Joseph... And told him that it was a, a divine miracle, he still, in his heart, because he was a righteous man, did not want to expose her to public ridicule and scorn. He wanted to protect her, he wanted to conceal this thing because he didn't, it was, see, it was righteousness at work in him. It was justice at work in him. These two concepts, we got got to think a little bit different about them. We have to think a little bit different about our conceptions of justice and righteousness. You know, today we live in an age when... um, it, it, watch the witness of the Spirit now. Watch the witness of the Spirit if this is not true. There is a, a, a spirit of fear at work in society today, right? I mean, I'm going to name some things, and, if, and if, you, if you are subject to this, don't get mad at me, okay? I would, but, but Americans are afraid of everything. They really are. They're afraid of everything. You're afraid to touch the handle on a shopping cart at Harris Teeter. They have to put hand wipes and uh, disinfectant by the hand carts because people are afraid to touch them. They put... uh, People won't open the door to the bathroom. They'll do all sorts of things with their elbows and back out and grab a paper towel and and hold the door open the door with a paper towel and hold the door open and then toss the paper towel in the trash on their way out because they don't want to touch that nasty doorknob somebody else has touched now now don't raise your hand if that's you but what i'm what i'm talking about we're afraid of what we eat I mean, Jesus couldn't feed the multitudes today because with vegans and gluten fear, you know, it's bread and fish just won't do for the multitude anymore. <laughs> we have a large... Uh, attempt to stir up resentment and divisions over political issues in America today, such to the point that there's manuals about what to talk about and what not to talk about at Thanksgiving dinner. Because we get so angry about our opinions. God, deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. I really don't know how to go about this. Uh, I re- God have mercy on me and you in the process. In the 1960s, there, were, there was a lot of injustice at work in the United States. There really was. There was some stuff that was horrible when I was a child. And I got caught up in 1966 in the middle of the Civil Rights Movement, marching in Atlanta, Georgia with Medgar Evers and Rap Brown and all that stuff because there was, there was stuff that needed to be fixed in this country. And praise God, some of it has been adjusted. Some of it's better than it used to be. We ain't maybe where we need to be, but some of it's gotten adjusted. But there was a great leader, a great man, probably in my opinion, one of the greatest men in the 20th century worldwide, not just in America, Martin Luther King, Jr. It rose up. And uh, this week, you know, contemplating justice, I I listened to his Wonderful, I Have a Dream speech about three or four times. And I downloaded it and read it. And there was one of the things because, see, he had a spiritual understanding of how to go about the pursuit of justice and righteousness linked together. He understood it. He was a spiritual man who understood the link between righteousness and justice and that you can't have one without the other. The often quoted uh, Arthur Burt, who we we speak of fondly here, used to uh, uh, say this. He says, Brother, if you've got the mumps, you can't give me the measles. You can only give away that which you own. You can't give something to somebody else you ain't got. Martin Luther King Jr. said, There is something that I must say to my people who stand on the warm threshold Which leads into the palace of justice. In the process of gaining our rightful place, we must not be guilty of wrongful deeds. Let us not seek to satisfy our thirst for freedom by drinking from the cup of bitterness and hatred. There is a wave of righteousness coming. There is a wave of healing coming. There is a wave of the presence of the Holy Spirit that is soon to pour out on this nation again. And there are forces at work in our society that wants to harden the heart of the church and blind the church's eyes to the truth so that we will not fully participate in the outpouring of God's Spirit in our day of visitation. Watch the witness of the Spirit. You know it's true. You know it's true. Lord, guard our hearts. Guard our hearts. Free us from the things that bind us up and make us fearful. Lord, free us from the trendiness this is, my, this is my personal aside. Come on. If we are overly subject to trendiness, doesn't that also make us susceptible to deception? If when a new trend comes along, it's so easy for us to align with it and get on the bandwagon with that, isn't that the same kind of thing that can lead us down a path towards deception? There is a document um, that was written uh, by the the United Nations. It's a United Nations document that I read. It's a 157-page document about social justice. See, there there is a thing at work in the world today to corrupt the word justice, to get us to think about justice differently than we should because it's not a biblical thing. And in the introduction to this this document for the United Nations, it didn't take them long to get to the point. It's on page two of the introduction. uh, This document of the United Nations says, now listen to this, listen to this. Arguments founded on moral fairness are easily disposed of in an atmosphere of moral relativism and cultural pluralism. Is there not a great effort being made throughout all of the means of communication to cause us to tend toward moral relativism and cultural pluralism? Isn't it, don't you, it don't take a rocket scientist to see that. That's one of their goals. Present And listen to this. Now, this is Insidious. Present-day believers in an absolute truth. Does anybody in here believe in an absolute truth? I mean, even in the day of Socrates, in Plato's Republic, Plato is setting up this conversation after a party where Socrates and his buds are talking about what it would be like. How could we form a republic where justice would reign? And they're pressing Socrates that he would actually... uh, Tell me now, is this republic? You know, you guys, any of you play that kingdom building game? Well, the first one was done by Socrates where they sit get together and they pretend how this republic is going to work, you know. And he said, now, are your ideas going to really work? And he says, well, probably not. Because I don't have complete wisdom. And I don't know really how to define what good is. But if there was ever a leader that would arise who was truly all-wise and all-good, a republic's association with that all-wise and all-good would be transformational and the very heart of man in society would be transformed. Even, Even Socrates, a Greek, Stoic philosopher was looking for the Messiah. Do you see what? Him? We know the truth. Do you know the truth? He is the way, the truth, and the life. It is absolutely, unequivocally eternal. He is God Almighty incarnate in the flesh. The United Nations says... Present-day believers in an absolute truth identified with virtue and justice are neither willing nor desirable companions for the defenders of social justice. Page two of the introduction of their document about social justice. You're out. They know you ain't going to be dragged down that road. But yet, don't we hear about social justice all the time? It's a distortion. It's not what Martin Luther King Jr. was talking about. They've changed something in it. And, it, and then it goes on and says, to, to an extent, I usually don't do this kind of thing. If, if Anytime you want me to stop, I will. Okay? I'm under your authority, brother. To an extent, the United Nations, with its efforts to strengthen the role and contribution of a civil society, is taking the lead and paving the way for international global democracy, a prerequisite for global social justice. Social justice is not possible without strong, coherent, redistributive policies conceived and implement- implemented by public institutions. All right, when the enemy tries to distort something, normally it's because God wants to reveal something. I think the Lord wants us to understand truly what justice is. I think the Lord is, is, is going to bring that about. I believe it is the will of the Father to reveal righteousness and truth, and justice in the body of Christ. But if we fail to respond to the move of the Holy Spirit, then the enemy can use that lack as a highway to get in and distort things. Does that make any sense? I don't feel like I'm really saying clearly what I sense in my spirit. So I'm asking that the Lord will help you understand that he'll open our minds and our hearts. In Isaiah 6, verse 1, it's one of the most famous passages in the, in the Old Testament. Um, you know where it says, you know, where Isaiah saw the Lord says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to the other and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, woe is me. Have you ever had a strong encounter with the Lord of hosts? where he revealed himself to you. is not your first reaction. Oh, woe oh, it's me. I can remember once when the Lord appeared to me. I was taken out of this realm and into another realm, and it was so strong I couldn't look anybody in the eye for three days because I could see all the way to their soul, and that's a frightening thing. That's a frightening thing. The presence of that truly good and righteous God Almighty is a transforming thing. You cannot have an encounter with the Almighty God and not be changed in the deeper, most innermost part of your being. Come, Holy Spirit, and shake the house. Come and shake this temple of yours, Lord, and transform us. Change something in us, Lord God. Then in Exodus, I think Pastor Byron's been talking about this encounter that Moses had. On the backside of the desert, he sees this bush that's burning. And and the Lord says to him, Moses, take off your shoes because you're standing on holy ground. And and the Lord says to him, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And it shook Moses up so bad he put his head down between his knees and couldn't look up. It's interesting that God identified himself through the relations that he had with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is a father God. That's how he identifies himself. Then the Lord reveals to Moses, said, "Men, I've been hearing how bad my children are being mistreated in Egypt, and I have come to send you to Egypt to deliver them. And Moses said, who, me? When you get in the presence of the Lord God Almighty and are shaken to the innermost core of your being, you will see who you are called to be. We see who He is on the mountain and what we are called to be. Then he takes us to the valley where we're hammered into the shape of our destiny. Moses said, Who am I going to tell them sent me? If they ask me what your name is, what am I going to say? And you know, I always thought that was his name. I am who I am, but he was just saying, I am who I am, and you are who you are, and I'm sending you, did you know that I am is greater than woe is me? There is no need to be fearful any longer. There is no need to be fearful any longer. If he says, I know you, I know who you are, I know everything about you. I know stuff about you you don't know about you. I am is greater than your woe is me. And I know what's in my heart for your destiny. And what I've called you to be. That revelation is the only revelation that changes your want to. What is it that you want to do? I know that before I met the Lord, there was a lot of things I wanted to do that weren't that necessarily good for me. As a matter of fact, there was a lot of my want to's that were downright uh, unrighteous to use a mild word. But when I was born again, my want-tos changed. You see, the desires of our heart have got to change. Oh, Jesus, help me. I I don't even know how I'm going to get where I want to go. There's this guy named David B. Dottie, and I, I like his writing a lot. He says, justice has an outcome focus. It is brought about about by acts of righteousness. Jesus' self-sacrifice is the ultimate revelation of what divine righteousness looks like. He gave what we did not have to give, his life, for those of us who do not deserve it. That's what righteousness is. Uh, Another one of my favorite guys is Marcus Aurelius, a first century Roman emperor. And he said this. He says, if you are distressed by anything external, the pain is not due to the thing itself, but to your estimate of it. And this you have the power to revoke at any moment. What are the things that we are fearful of? We're afraid of touching what anybody else has touched. I'm using that because that's probably the silliest example I could think of. How did the world survive... Before uh, disinfectant wipes. You know, bro, look around. Today, everybody's got allergies. When I was a kid, I don't remember anybody having allergies. Fear has caused us to retreat into these little disinfected bubbles. Where, where we don't develop any immunities to anything. Now, I, I realize I'm not talking about that. I'm using that as an example for our spiritual life. We are not called to practice, practice righteousness and do righteous deeds within the walls of the church. That ought to be easy, to love those who love you and think like you. We're called to go out there into the world and practice deeds of righteousness where righteousness is not easily found. And I'm just old enough and stupid enough to believe this. I believe each and every one of us has a missionary call. Now, I'm leaving Thursday to head out for the Andes Mountains of northwestern Argentina to do some stuff. Now, you may be called to Moxville. And if that's where the Lord's got you appointed, that's better than the Luricatau Valley of northwestern Argentina. But there's something in us all We are to take that seed of divinity out and spread it around. We are to take what God has put in us and and take it to others. I just believe that. I'm convinced of that. I don't think there is a single person sitting here here today that has the Holy Spirit active in your life that doesn't have a divine purpose planned for your life and the the thrilling the thrilling quest that we go on Jeff is trying to figure out what God has appointed for me to do that is the that is the best thing ever that is the best thing ever And it doesn't matter, I'm older than some of you and younger than others, but I'm convinced that the next 10 years of my life are going to be the best 10 years of my life. Because God always saves the best wine to last. And the latter glory is always better than the former glory. His call is always onward and upward. It ain't going back and finding what we lost. It's getting something absolutely brand spanking new. I didn't mean to say any of that. <laughs> I believe this is the key. Romans 12:21. It's a real simple little key. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Is there anyone here present today who hasn't had evil done against you? I want to meet you. <laughs> now, some people really do suffer horrific terrible mistreatment and abuse and uh, and it's it's terrible. Some of us have suffered loss that it just seems like I'm never going to recover from this. I went through one period in my life where, and it's not confession of weakness, I was so broken about something that I didn't think I'd ever be able to sleep through the night again without taking a sleeping pill. I've known brokenness. I've lost children. I've had heartache, you know but it's it's like we've all suffered wrong. Now, how do we get free from that? How does that make us stronger rather than cripple us? It's so absolutely elementary and simple. Forgiveness. It's so easy. This is not complicated church. First Peter chapter three verse eight. I think that's where it is. I got. I, I found out. I'm not very accurate with these things. I was forced into producing notes before speaking, and that's something that I don't normally do. Uh, so I want to confirm that I'm in the right place at the right time, the right verse. 1 uh, Peter, chapter three verse eight, says. Finally. All of you, be of one mind, having compassion for one another. I love the gospel of Jesus Christ. I love it. It is life and health to my bones. It brings joy to my soul. It is easy to entreat. It is peaceable, and it comes down from heaven. It is not that difficult. especially if you got the holy spirit to help you. Says finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers. Be tender-hearted. Be courteous. You know, that one word right there has become to me the essence of my uh, premarital and marital counseling. Just be courteous to each other. If you'll just be kind to each other, everything else will work out. True? Not true? I mean, I am embarrassed to tell you how long it took me to figure that out. I think Kathy will tell you I'm getting better at it than I used to be. You know, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling. The spirit of this age reviles listen to it it doesn't matter whether your source of news comes from the left or from the right everybody's reviling somebody else that is not the spirit of the living God that is not the way progress is made as an individual or as a society even to those who've done you wrong That was one thing I loved about Martin Luther King Jr. He had I mean they eventually shot the man. But he never spoke ill of people. He spoke the truth without reviling. And we still name the streets after him and rightly celebrate a holiday named after him. Because he stood for righteousness. He did. Was he a perfect man? No, there ain't none of them amongst us. But was he better than most? I think so. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing. Knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Because what you give is what you receive, right? We, we talk about sowing and reaping. Well, let's sow blessing. When we sow blessing, we shall reap blessing. He who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. Practicing the righteousness and justice of the kingdom. Forgiving others for their transgressions. And his ears are open to their prayers but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. The end of the the little section there, verse 17, says, For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than to do evil, for doing evil. If someone commits evil against you, you can retaliate. And that evil remains and grows. Retaliation and retribution causes evil to grow. If we forgive, that little might, that little piece of evil, is removed from the world and absorbed by grace and overcome by the love of God. Actually, I can. Normally, I can't say that thing again. But the other day, this occurred to me, and I wrote it down. Maybe it is good that I do notes, Byron. It says, if someone commits evil against you, you can retaliate. And that evil remains and grows. If we forgive, that might of evil is removed from the world, absorbed by grace, and overcome by the love of God. When that occurred to me the other day, it was the first time in my Christian life, I think I understood, at least at this level, what it means to take up that which remains of the sufferings of Christ. Do we want to walk in the footsteps of Jesus? Can we find from the resources that we have acquired in the presence of the Holy Spirit the grace to forgive those who do us harm? That's what it is to participate in the sufferings of Christ, to forgive those who persecute you, to forgive those who have wronged you, to absorb that evil into the limitless pool of God's mercy and grace and let it disappear from the earth. Lord, send a wave of righteousness into the church. Lord, send this wave of forgiveness into the church. Lord, I've, I've been involved in ministry since the early 1970s, and I am astounded at people who carry wounds in their hearts for decades Decades and decades, 20 years, 30 years, and they're still suffering the scars and the limit. You know how I I, I knew a kid back in Tennessee. His his daddy had uh, uh, not liked him crying when he was three years old, so he doused him with lighter fluid and set him on fire. And we had some great friends, Judy and Jack Hughes, who adopted that boy after the social services took him out of the home, the abusive home. And, and, uh, and they just loved him. His name was Peter. And every year they'd take him to the Shriners Hospital down in uh, Texas for, where they treated burn victims. And they would have to cut his scars because the scar tissue would begin to impede his ability to even lift his arms, you know. But Peter grew up to love the Lord. You know, when when we allow the wounds that we have suffered to fester, it restricts our ability to move in the spirit. Just like natural scar tissue doesn't grow, the wounds in our hearts cause us to not grow properly. Lord, free us. Free us miraculously by, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Come and wash over us, Lord, and help us to forgive the unforgivable. Help us to see this as a vision, a vision how you can bring righteousness and justice into the world the same way that Jesus Christ brought it. Making up that which remains of the suffering of Christ. Forgiving those who have done you wrong. And in the process getting free from the scar tissue that restricts your spirit. 1 Peter 4, 12 and 13 says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. One of the fruits of this next move that comes in is going to be a Joy a rejoicing. We've waited, we've anticipated the end time harvest for a long time. But when it comes and we begin to see again uh, a a wave of healing and salvations and forgiveness, then it'll be accompanied with great joy. It will be accompanied with great joy. I believe we're called to be instruments of righteousness in the earth, and that you know i'm I'm cautious about saying that because I know who I am. I know who some of you are, but you know i wouldn't wouldn't want to be with any other group of people. I like you guys. I like you guys. And I think the Lord does. I think that's it. Wait wait just a minute. Don't get anxious. Oh, wait a minute. I overshot. Two minutes. I, 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 I thought I still had a few. All right. Don't let fear overwhelm you. Anytime you feel fear rising up about your health, about your future, any of this thing, rebuke it in the name of Jesus. Reject it in the name of Jesus. He did not create us to be motivated by our fears. As a matter of fact, this is my approach to it. Anything I'm afraid of, I usually just put my head down and charge at it. I'll run straight at it because I know that fear wants to keep me away from God's perfect will for my life. So anytime I get a little nervous, I think, well, that might be God. And go for it. Don't let fear be a motivator in your life. If in the presence of God, all of a sudden you think, well, I might. He might be saying, do this. Well, give it a shot. Go for it. Okay? Anytime, you know, it's like anytime you, you feel anger, like the other day I was at, at, at Walmart in the parking lot and these guys zoomed right up in front of me and they started making rude hand gestures and I don't know if I'd offended them somewhere in the traffic line or not, but they, they stopped right in front of me and there was about four kids in there and my initial urge was to get out and go beat all four of them up. You know, and, and I decided not to. But I know that, you know, my natural response to that kind of thing is not righteousness. So let forgiveness flow in traffic situations on 77. I'm prophesying good things for you. I'm going to shut up. Um, okay. uh, I don't know. Who do I turn this over to now?
1: Hmm? Yeah. I think it's a good time for to pray about what he said because I feel like uh <clears throat> it's the mind of the Lord for us this morning. And it really is a protection for us going forward to be able to really receive all that God has for us, so you know, we heard a couple of testimonies about, one about fear this morning and another one about getting your heart healed and about forgiveness. And then he gives this message. So I think the Lord really wants to, probably when he was talking, you probably had some thoughts about uh, maybe somebody you should forgive. Maybe that somebody's yourself. So lots of times we need to forgive ourselves. I know some theologians have an issue with that thought, but they they're not living in reality sometimes we had to forgive ourselves so I want you to stand up you know Romans 5:17 says through grace and righteousness we reign in life through grace and righteousness because it's always the grace of god works alongside the righteousness of god to enable us to to reign to have victory And I believe the Lord really is wanting to give us victory this morning. To me, this is a victorious message. So let's just take a moment here and begin this process of victory. If you have someone you need to forgive or a forgiveness thing, let's begin right now. Even you may not feel like it, but don't let your feelings be your leader. Let's just take a moment. I feel like some of you need to forgive the Lord, and I know that sounds crazy, but we can get in some weird thing thinking in our mind. And when I say "Forgive the Lord," the Lord has never done anything badly, but, but we get in our mind that God has. And so when I say "Forgive the Lord," really, we're breaking off that mindset that accuses the Lord or is disappointed in the Lord. For what we didn't, God didn't do the way we thought he should do. So let's just let the Lord just move in your heart just for a minute. That was really an amazing word that Jim gave. It was really a mind, the mind of the Lord. Thank you, Lord. So, Lord, we just want to receive that today, Lord, because we want to be a part of what you're doing on, in the earth. We want to be part of these waves of grace, these waves of healing, these waves of of justice, these waves of righteousness, Lord, as they just flow over the earth. And we want to get caught up this morning, Lord, in forgiveness, Lord. We want to get caught up in how you forgave your enemies, Lord, how you forgave those who tortured you, Lord, how you forgave those who abandoned you, how you forgave those who stripped you, Lord. We want to get caught up in that forgiveness this morning. So just let the Holy Spirit release that in you right now. Forgive your spouse if he wronged you in a big way. Forgive him or her. or Forgive that spouse who left you, that forsook you. Forgive that church leader who abused you or took advantage of you or hurt you or put you out forgive your friends who didn't understand you and rejected you this world is so full of those things but God really is calling us to live outside of that realm and to live above those things this morning so the grace of God is here for that right now in Jesus name the grace of God is here for healing and the grace of God is here for fear If fear is the thing that's really eating at you, and I know we all face fear, sometimes it gets a hold of hearts. This morning's a time to get that off in your heart. Get get that fear rope that has woven itself into you. God can really remove it for you this morning.